Welcome to Background Check Radio. I'm Kevin Bachman. Today, part one of a two-part interview with Matt McGregor, the Senior Director of Consulting and Strategic Solutions for Lauer's Risk Group. Stick around. So today we talk about what Matt's passionate about, how the industry's changed, how it stayed the same, why he's now a lifer like so many of us are in the industry. We discuss how to properly scope a solution for a client. You know, great CRAs push solutions and fixes the problems, not products. We also talk about why background checkers, ironically, don't talk about background checks too much anymore. What else are we talking about with clients and prospects? So without further ado, enjoy part one of my two-part conversation with Matt McGregor. Matt is a background check lifer. He's been in the industry for about 15 years. And Matt, when you and I were talking offline, uh, you have a pretty interesting uh, backstory. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your time in this industry? Okay, Kevin. Thanks so much for having me today. And I certainly will give you a little bit of background. So no pun intended there, but uh, I did enter the industry right about 15 years ago. Uh, I actually have a background in technology. That's where I was working for years and was recruited into an organization that's no longer in the space uh, due to mergers and acquisitions, but it was ChoicePoint. Uh, I was brought in to run a Chicago-based territory, and candidly, uh, during that time, I absolutely fell in love with the industry. Um, didn't know that was going to be the case. It wasn't my expectation. I thought I would enter, you know, learn some things, expand my knowledge base, and, and potentially move on. Uh, but that just was not the case. So as mentioned, I started at Voice Point, was working in the Chicago territory, and really enjoyed getting out there uh, with organizations and helping them, you know, not only put a good process in place, but potentially elevate their current processes. Now, 15 years ago, we were in a different time. Uh, We were still in that uh, arena where you had to convince organizations that they had to do something and that they really should be doing background screening. Fast forward to now, most organizations are screening. It's just about doing it right and helping them to build efficiencies and, and put them in a position to bring their best to the door. Uh, but when I started at ChoicePoint, um, it was great. You know, I, I immersed myself in the industry, got to meet some amazing folks, both internally and on the client side, and really grew, as I mentioned, to not only love the space, but realize that I could make a real impact in the space. After a few years at ChoicePoint, uh, we were actually sold to LexisNexis and became LexisNexis Screening Solutions. During that time, I had one of my most memorable positions. I was actually moved to the nonprofit screening team. Uh, During my time on that team, uh, I managed and led the practice for uh, the east half of the United States around youth and sports. So I was fortunate enough to go to the Little League World Series. I was working with organizations like Pony. Um, anything that related to youth and sports, I got to touch. And candidly, Kevin, that's when I really fell in love with it and knew I wasn't going anywhere. Um, I knew I was helping people. I was keeping kids safe and knew that I was positioning myself to do that for organizations of all sizes in the future. And, and, you know, one of the things that surprised me, Matt, when we we first started talking is, uh, unlike many of us in the industry, you did not go to college and get a degree in background. I did not. I did not. As mentioned, I, I actually had a degree or have a degree in telecommunications, which couldn't be further away. 
um, from background screening. And, you know, I, I certainly enjoyed my time in technology. And I thought that's where I was going to stay until that fateful day when I took that recruiter's call. Yeah, and, and yeah, as you mentioned, well, go ahead, Kevin, I'm sorry. Well, you know, and, and, and that's the joke, right? You know, none of us woke up or planned a life that said, hey, we're going to become background checkers. But that passion that you describe for entering an industry, not, not so much on a whim, but, you know, you didn't know that you were charting a course to, you know, to, to get up and go to work every day, that energy and that desire to help companies, coworkers, customers, et cetera, and, and, and really, you know, and, and feel feel that charge. And so many of us in our space do, and I think that's why so many of us have been in the industry for a long time, but I don't know if 15, 20 years ago, any of us could have looked back at where we were in life and said, this is where the path's going to take us. That's exactly right. And, and, and to your point, you know, when you dip your toe in, you almost anticipate pulling the toe right back out. And for so many of us, that just didn't happen. We jumped in both feet and then full body, and now we're here and we're here to stay. And, you know, I, I think there's many folks in our space that, and this is that running joke, you try to leave, but it pulls you back in. You know, I did. I stayed in HR, but I went and worked with an RPO for a couple of years. Absolutely loved my time at the RPO. Learned a ton about talent acquisition in HR. But sure enough, I came back to background screening. There's just something about it that pulls you in and keeps you there. And I think it does come from that, that desire and that passion to help, to make sure that the safety is in place and that people are in good standing. All those things that, that lead to a better positioning for an organization, not only for good culture, but for growth. And obviously, those are things that companies are looking for every day, regardless of their size. And Matt, so you've been talking to prospects and clients for 15 years now at different companies. Put yourself back in, in the 2004, 2005, 2006 time period. What were the things you were talking to clients about then? And compare that to some of the conversations we're having today. Yeah, it, it's a pretty deep divide. Um, you know, when you think about 04, 05, 06, um, we, like I said earlier, we were still in that mode of you should really be doing this. And I remember uh, multiple times where the CEO would sit across from me and say, I'm not doing this, or it's not worth the money, or, you know, I just don't care, or this isn't where my priorities are. And, you know, the, the risk that is involved or was involved in those decisions I knew it. It was really a, a task, to say the least, to convince organizations of what they were really opening themselves up to. So, you know, that's 15 years ago. And so at that point, it was really about uh, cost and just the ability to say you were doing something. So oftentimes, uh, organizations would opt into the bare minimum, but then they could tell people they background screen, so, hey, we can check that box. Um, over, over the past 15 years, I've really seen an evolution. And, you know, what you're paying attention to, what you're willing to spend, why you're doing it, and, and the outputs of your program. So in, in that, that middle ground of the 15 years, if you will, was, um, you know, as the recession was hitting and taking place. At that point, obviously, the screening volumes went down, but you started to see people pay a little bit more attention to what they were screening on. They wanted to make sure that if they were going to bring somebody on board, um, not only the resume was where it needed to be, but that they were vetted 
uh, their, their work history was as they described it and that they were the best possible candidate uh, for the organization, again, beyond the resume and looking at their history. Um, and then you, you get to today, where now, not only do organizations understand that they must do it, they're just doing it. And so we see ourselves really focused on building out quality programs, and, and I'll define that as this. One, that you're screening folks based on the position that you're hiring them for, that you're not broad broken your program, that you're specific to that role entails, and ensuring that you're actually putting together a product mix that will present um, information on the candidate that's applicable. The other piece that's right at the forefront is the candidate experience. And, you know, as a, a screening provider, we have to be in tune to the candidate experience. Uh, the negative impacts that we can present in that experience, if we don't set good expectations, uh, we're not turning around quality information. And, and then the other side of it is if we get it right, we're basically unknown within the candidate experience and they go through the process, the report's returned, they get their job and everybody moves on. But if we're not paying attention to the candidate experience right now, then, then it's a huge miss. And right underneath that is the quality of information and the quality of support. So not everybody is fully versed on what a misdemeanor is there and what a felony is over there. You need to have quality support. You need to have a good team that clients can call in and, and ask questions to and give them quick and timely information because again, you lose a candidate if they're sitting there waiting. You can't have them so, waiting and you gotta be in tune to what they need. You, know, you, you, you mentioned something, Matt. Great share, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, you mentioned um, something I think all of us as screening professionals feel is the more we operate um, under the surface, under the radar, I think the better job we do Better, the more value we're adding to clients. You know, I, I, I thought of a joke there, and I was going to ask you, you know, wait a minute, you know, all those phone calls, clients telling you what an awesome job you did on that last back. <laughs> I mean, none of us, none of us get that. <laughs> nah, never, never. <laughs> but it's, but it's, it's but it's okay. What I equated to is, this, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. The um, you know, I'm curious. You know, 15 years ago, how many how many clients were you acquiring that had never done background checks before as a basis? Wow. Um, gosh, I would say, you know, on the low end, at least 50%. And, and I could make an argument that for a time it was in the 70s to the 80%. What about that? Um, you know, you, you today, you know, rarely do I come across somebody who's not doing something. Um, you know, I would put it into the, you know, 80 to 85% are doing something. Now, that's not across the board. Obviously, there's, you know, small businesses that are one and, and two-person shops. They're not screening each other. But once you get into double-digit employee count, there's probably a program in place. It may be a minimal program, but they're at least doing something. We are far past the day of convincing folks that they need to do it. It's really about doing it right. And, and that's a tectonic shift. Base and, and I agree with you. I've seen that. You say that our, our friends in the industry have said that having really basic conversations about the virtue of looking for sex offenders anymore and the ability that one might enter your space. We're spending a lot more time, positively but also ironically, talking about things other than the background, just as if this 
this industry and this process, the background checks and afterthought. We're talking a lot about technology integrations, we're talking a lot about ATSs, talking about post-hire screening in a way that we might be doing it. We're talking about candidate experience, uh, the, the mobile friendliness of our we're not talking about how many calls we make on, a, on an education verification anymore or felony and what's a misdemeanor. That's a, that, that, that's a real seismic shift, I think, for us. Uh, and, and to your point, where I think the conversation goes today is around program literacy. So whether that's how your uh, ATS is integrated and the subsequent experience it provides, what particular product mixes that you're putting together for a specific position, and really educating the, the client, the organization, if you will, on why we do what we do. To your point, they're not necessarily tuned into the piece of how we're getting it done. They just want to know that the right things are being done and why we've determined that, because they carry that information forward. They share it internally, and it allows them to be better educated on, on what their process looks like. So, you know, when you think back to what we were talking about a moment ago, the customer service aspect of it, there's less calls to customer service if you're properly educated on your program and you understand the hows and whys behind it. So, yes, it is a seismic shift. It's no longer you should be. It's more, here's how we do it, here's why we do it, here's the best practices. Much of that, also to your point, lies into the technology. So, how are we interacting with these systems? How are we ensuring that the proper data goes back and forth? and ensuring that goes back to that experience, the best possible experience is presented, not just for the candidate, but for the user or the recruiter. Program literacy, that's that's a great, you know, I'll, I'll work with obviously CRAs, but also employers and vendors in our space. And the one thing I notice, and I really want your perspective doing this for as long as you have at a number of different industries, what I recognize when I'll help on the employer side of the equation is employers can't always verbalize or articulate what it is that they're looking for. And reps in our space, and it's no fault of theirs, but if they're a little less seasoned, they're working off their talking points and their their internal CRA's product names. And what I see is sometimes on the HR side, the buyer doesn't quite understand seller, the seller doesn't quite understand the buyer, but they don't notice it in the middle. They wind up kind of talking over, above, or around each other. Sometimes you kind of need someone in the middle to act as a as a translator. Uh, I, I wouldn't have observed that as much when I was when I was working inside of a CRA. Um, is, is that something that you see or you agree with, kind of that, that lack of universal definitions in our space? Really ironically yeah. having that unintentional consequence of inhibiting, um, you know, contributing to that program literacy that you mentioned. Yes, yeah, and, and, you know, to say that it must be confusing for, you know, the buyer and the organization is an understatement. You know, every, and I mean every, vendor out there calls, you know, their national search something different. That phrase, the national search, could be termed as a misnomer as well because it's not necessarily a national search that it touches every resource nationwide, coast to coast. It's an aggregate of data. So that's where we step in and add that literacy. So oftentimes what I will do when I'm chatting with folks is, one, if you have a program in place today, I don't want to know the name of the product. I want to know what it does. Yes. And do you like the return? So talk to me about 
what it does, the type of data it returns to you, and is that data useful and impactful to your decision? If it's not, then why are we doing that? Maybe I can make recommendation of some more impactful data and we'll get it from another place. So again, we, we talk about what it does, not what it's called. The other thing is looking at the position. So you look at the position, if it's an admin or you know, somebody in a manufacturing facility or a salesperson or somebody in the executive suite, all of those positions have different criteria, different success criteria from a resume standpoint, and they should certainly have different success criteria from a screening standpoint. Yes, there are organizations that broad stroke their screening. It's easy to do it that way, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting the best data in return. So we not only look at the position and we scope based on the position and what would be impactful, but then we educate on those products so you understand why it's going to be impactful when you receive the information. So ultimately, you can then make the best possible decision because you understand all aspects of the decision criteria. Matt, I felt 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, I had a lot more conversations about the criteria appropriate screens for appropriate positions. And, uh, you know, it's no secret to any of our listeners or anybody who's, uh, who's on LinkedIn with me in the industry. I'm a, I'm a fan of robust background. I just believe a $70 background check is more value than a $7 background check. And one of the things that I think we run up, we, we bump up in the marketplace is, gosh, I don't have the budget for that. I can't spend $70 for every background check. And I think our approach as, as you know, consultative solution providers is, you know, I don't want you to spend $70 on your background. Half of your organization might be fine with a $35 background check. The other half need $125. Um, it averages out to $70, but we're kind of doing different things for different, uh, different, different jobs. My question to you, Matt, is I felt like years ago we had those conversations in a lot more depth. Today, we're talking about technology, the integrations, the candidate experience. Do you, are you seeing that? And it's okay if you're not. I actually am. And that's why it's become such a focus for me to get, you know, if there are some things that we do want to arc back to from the 10 and 15 years ago, that is one of the pieces, is that opportunity to take the deeper dive on the position level. And so, you know, I agree. I'm not seeing that come up. So I'm driving. Um, oftentimes, you know, at best, you'll see them, oh, in this division, we run this package. For everybody? Yes, for everybody. And then in this division, we run that package. For everybody? Yes, for everybody. Taking a little more time to do an in-depth program analysis allows you to properly scope the solution. And, you know, sometimes I'll get some pushback. Hey, I, I don't know if I want to take the time to do that. Well, the win is this. Might save you some money because you could be doing too much on some folks. And it might save you from a bad hire because we're going to uncover the right type of information so you can feel, feel confident that you're bringing the right person in. So I really do push for those conversations. I, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, though. There's plenty of people that say, look, we really just want to keep our program simple. We like it with two, three, or four packages, even though we have 180 different roles. Okay, but they're figuring out what works best for them. As a consultant, it's on me to put opportunity or options on the table. And then help the client determine what's best for them in their program. I like the phrasing you're using. And for our listeners, I hope you picked up where Matt had said, here's the win. 
know, this is why it matters to you. Um, you know, we come in with that consultative approach, and yes, if we do get pushed back, let's try and reframe it in terms of what the benefits are to 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 the users, to to our clients. How often is it working, Matt? You know, more and I feel more. like I'm going to get. I feel like oh. I'm going to get disappointed here. <laughs> no, no, I, I I would say that conversation gets more traction every day, um, and, and the reason I say that is because I, I do give information behind it. You know, I'm not just saying, hey, we should do this because it'll be a fun exercise of busy work. No, if we do this and we come up with some, you know, broad stroke wins or even some incremental wins, they're still wins. You know, if we can cut some products out that speed up the turnaround time because they're not applicable to that position, great, you're faster to the candidate selection. If we can add products in that give you a better sense of you know, your new CFO, great, let's do that. So you ensure you bring the right CFO through the door. But, you know, I really try to set the expectation that this will be time well spent. And the other piece is, if you hadn't gone through this motion before of analyzing your roles and, and scoping to the role, it's a great exercise. Because what I also see happen is they, they start looking at the role in particular. They start looking at the success profile. Maybe they hadn't looked at the success profile for the role in a year or two. So it, it causes additional discussions internally beyond the background screen that they find beneficial. There's never harm in an analysis. You can certainly find out some great things that you're doing. I think everybody likes to know that they were doing it right. And I have the good fortune of telling people that all the time. Hey, you have this right. Keep it as is. And that's a win as well. When you know you've had a good program in place, that's great. everybody likes that confirmation. So it's not always a negative thing that comes out of the analysis. Oftentimes you get positive reinforcement. Thanks for listening to part one of my two-part interview with Matt McGregor on this episode of Background Check Radio. See you next time.